Hyde Park United Methodist in Tampa, Florida. This is the Bible Project 2020, a journey to reading the Bible without fear or frustration. I'm your host, Matt Hotho. On this week's episode, McGray DeVega and I sit down with the Reverend Dr. Tom Boomershine to discuss Mark 1 through 12, verse 34. Tom served as a professor of New Testament at United Theological Seminary in Dayton, Ohio for over 20 years and was McGray's mentor in seminary. He has been a leader in the area of biblical storytelling as a way of both communicating and interpreting the scriptures. He is the founder of the Network of Biblical Storytellers, as well as GoTell Communications, which provides resources for discovering and telling biblical stories by heart. You can learn more about this ministry at GoTell.org. Tom has a particular interest in the Gospel of Mark, which he believes was first circulated as oral storytelling in early Christian communities. We discuss the history behind Mark, and then we spend the majority of the episode exploring how Mark used storytelling and performance to animate Jesus throughout the Gospel. As we discussed a couple of weeks ago, there are historical events behind the New Testament, just as there were behind the Old Testament, and Tom gives us more insights into exactly how traumatic the destruction of the temple in 70 AD was for the Jewish people. Now, on to the episode. Well, Tom, it is a joy to have you with us. Uh, you were so formative to me in my seminary training And uh, so much of what you taught me, I get to share in my ministry here at Hyde Park. And I'm just delighted that our folks get to learn from you, uh, particularly in in a gospel that I know that is close to your heart. And so I'm just grateful to have you with us to talk about the gospel of Mark. Um, We want to begin uh, maybe by just having you give us some background information on the origins of Mark, uh, kind of where it uh, where it developed and, and when it developed and, and its importance in the yeah. New Testament canon. Yeah. Well, the uh, first of all, this is great. I'm really <laughs> glad to you know be part of this, and I'm delighted to hear what's happening with the congregation and this program. I'm really impressed, uh, and it's such a good idea to do in this uh, time of pandemic. Well, about Mark. Uh, Mark was, uh, I think, composed. Everybody agrees it was composed sometime around the war. I think it was composed in the aftermath, more or less immediate aftermath, of the Jewish-Roman War, which, you know, the temple was uh, destroyed. Uh, The uh, city of Jerusalem basically destroyed in 70 AD at the time of the, uh, when the (coughs) Roman legions broke through the walls and uh, uh, ended the siege. Uh, It was the greatest tragedy in the entire history of Israel. Uh, The Babylonian conquest was really bad, but this was a lot worse. Mm. Uh, The number, the current estimates are that there were, say, around 6 million Jews in uh, the Greco-Roman world at the time of the war. And uh, estimates are that between a million and a half and two million uh, were killed. That is one out of four in the whole of the Greco-Roman world. Uh, And the temple was destroyed and has never been rebuilt. Uh, It was... uh, and that transition was 
uh, the most difficult and divisive uh, transition in the entire history of Israel. And so the division between uh, how to respond to this new situation in the aftermath of the war was at the core of the uh, split between what became Christianity and rabbinic Judaism. Mm. Uh, and so that division happened, and it was in part around the controversies about Jesus, but it was also controversies about how to respond to this new culture that was developing in the context of the extension of literacy. Mm. One of the things that I would say about Mark that is foundational for the congregation is that uh, what has emerged from contemporary uh, research on the media world of antiquity is that the great majority, like 90 to 95% of people in different parts of the Roman Empire were illiterate. Mm -hmm. I was struck by something that I heard oftentimes throughout my undergraduate studies that we talk about these more as the marking community or the Matthew yeah. community. Is that a more helpful way to think about the people who are receiving these texts? To make a, a long story short, uh, my conclusion from having told the Gospel of Mark and Matthew and Luke and uh, major parts of John over now these 50 years, uh, and the, with the development of performance criticism, which is, uh, which is based on assumption, the conclusion that uh, the uh, Gospels were performed for audiences. But the dominant audience that is reflected in terms of the address to the audience, and you'll find this if you uh, tell the whole story and pay attention to who's being addressed, it's addressed to Hellenistic Jews who do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Hmm. It's not addressed to a Markham community. Hmm. It's addressed to people who are searching for who is Jesus and what is it about and how is he really the Messiah as the uh, storyteller is announces at the beginning. You know, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus Christ. Uh, so he announces his belief about that right at the beginning. But it's clear that the audience is not addressed as disciples until later in the, in the gospel. Most of it is addressed in the early parts of it to people uh, who would identify with the various groups in first century Judaism, Pharisees, scribes, uh, the crowds, uh, the crowd is a major character, and the crowd is very diverse, uh, reflecting people from all over uh, the regions around Galilee, and including uh, the uh, Gentile territories in Phoenicia, Syria, uh, Lebanon, uh, what is now Jordan, on the other side of the Sea of Galilee and the Decapolis. So, uh, so it's, it's addressed to a highly diverse audience, and that's reflected uh, in uh, at two different places in the gospel. Uh, in chapter 13, uh, Jesus says, 
uh, all this, uh, uh, that first of all, before the coming of the, of the new age, of the return of the Son of Man, uh, that the gospel must be proclaimed to all the nations. Mm. And uh, in the story of the anointing at Bethany, he says, wherever the gospel is proclaimed throughout the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Mm. So the horizon of Mark is the world. And the, the gospel is addressed to and has the, the uh, picture that is reflected in the story of it being told all over uh, the, uh, the Greco, the Roman world, uh, all over the world. Well, what's, so what's it's, a, it's a, it is truly an, a, a, a story that is announced to the world as good news about the coming of a new government, of a new age. Well, one of the interesting features of Mark that's related in some way to what you said uh, is that throughout the gospel of Mark, every time someone comes close to recognizing that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus steps in and says, shh, right. <laughs> don't tell, tell anybody. Uh, right. the, this whole messianic secret idea. Why, why does Mark do that? Well, imagine uh, – and in fact, I'd recommend that you do this, uh, learn the story and tell it to an audience. It takes uh, between two and two, two hours and two and a half hours. Uh, maintaining uh, the Gospel of Luke takes about four hours. <laughs> uh, the uh, four people in the ancient world for whom there were no, there was no television, no radio, there was no entertainment, no films, whatever. Their entertainment was evenings of storytelling. Oh. And so uh, the Gospels are a long evening of storytelling. But maintaining the interest and connection of an audience over two and a half, half hours is a real challenge. As uh, preachers who lose their audiences in 20 minutes... Mm -hmm. <laughs> No, uh, so the messianic secret is an element, a central element of the plot of the story. And the, uh, what becomes, you know, what is uh, intimated over and over with the messianic secret is Jesus is at risk, and if it becomes known, he will be in trouble. And that's what happens when he announces uh, at the trial before the Sanhedrin, uh, when he responds to the chief priest's questions, are you the Messiah, the son of the living God? He says, I am, and the council condemns him to death. Uh, so the, the conclusion of the messianic secret is a reflection of why it was an issue uh, that his becoming identified as a messiah uh, would lead to his death. And so it is a, it's a classic, I don't know, plot uh, 
And that's announced at early on in the in the gospel. Mm-hmm. In 3.6, after the healing of the man with a withered hand, uh, the Herodians and the Pharisees get together and begin to plot how they could destroy him. And so there is, from early on in the story, a clear identification of the plot to kill him. And that is reiterated uh, through the gospel, as well as these injunctions to the Messianic secret. My own opinion is that the uh, that scholarship has made a big deal about trying to identify the theology that is expressed in the Messianic secret. And I think it's more appropriate to the original character and meaning of the Messianic secret to see it as an element of the story. And theologians who are looking for the doctrine that is implicit in the story have not listened to it and have not paid attention to its character as a story, Uh, but rather they're studying it as a document to try to extract from it the theology that is implicit in the story. And that's there, but it's, it's embedded, it's part of an experience of hearing the story by audiences. And I suppose that's uh, somewhat in the same way as Mark's frequent use of the word immediately or straight away. Right. All throughout right. the gospel, the, 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 the action jumps from one scene to another, perhaps, as you said, to keep the, the audience or the listener engaged in the story. Right. It moves fast. Yeah. Immediately, Jesus got up mm-hmm. and then went. Uh, immediately, this happened. Right. So in the first... Uh, the, the Greek word is euthus. Uh, so it's uh, from early on, from the beginning. It, euthus, euthus, it comes up all the time. <laughs> and, uh, and Matthew and Luke uh, reduce the number of uh, immediately. Uh, it, I think my hunch is that they found it a little repetitious. Tom, can you say briefly... Um what the difference is for us to hear and experience the scripture as opposed to reading it? Yeah, well, the uh, well, one difference is that it's a lot more interesting. Uh, I remember one time early on in my research. Uh, I was a pastor at the First Congregational Church of Chicago on the near west side in the area that was burned after Dr. Assassination. The, uh, I, I remember thinking, well, I wonder if they might have read the story all at one time. And I, well, I'll try it. So I sat down and started reading Mark, and I fell asleep. <laughs> the sixth chapter uh, I could not sustain you know interest uh, what I've found is that uh, when there is the direct encounter with someone who is telling the story that there is a, a higher level of engagement mm-hmm. it's more interesting mm-hmm. uh, the uh, 
The other dimension of that is that there's a lot of development that happens in the course of uh, the gospel. And uh, that in Mark, uh, a major dimension of that is that most of Jesus' ministry in the first part of the gospel from chapters 1 through 6 is to Judeans. Uh, the only exception to that is the story of the Gerasene demoniac, uh, <laughs> who uh, was on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. But from seven, the middle of seven, with the story of the Syrophoenician woman, through then uh, chapter 10, there are a whole series of stories of Jesus crossing the sea and ministering, doing good for Gentiles, for his enemies, for those on the other side. And in the aftermath of the war, when Mark's story was told, that degree of enmity and of emotional uh, intensity that was around a, an Israelite Messiah figure not making war on and uh, conquering the, uh, the enemies of Israel, like David and Saul and the messiahs of the uh, tradition of Israel, but rather of doing good for them, was highly controversial. But it was at the core of the good news of the gospel, which is that God's kingdom is not just for Israelites, but it's for everybody. It's for the enemies of Israel as well as for the people of Israel. It's everybody. And this reconception of the kingdom of God as a universal kingdom that in which God's love, grace, healing, power is present for everybody. And that was the, I think, the major source of uh, division between what became rabbinic Judaism and what became Christianity, hmm. was the full inclusion of Gentiles. Hmm. Uh, and that that's reflected in the Gospel of Mark, as it is in, uh, uh, in Matthew and Luke also. It is, but interestingly, it is not in John. There are no Gentiles in John before Pilate and the Roman soldier. So it's a, it, that's a, that's some, that's another old discussion. Tom, as our, as our time draws to a close, I'm wondering if you have a favorite story in Mark. Is there a story that's personally meaningful for you? <laughs> Hard to pick one. Oh, well, you know, I have a whole, I have a whole raft of stories that are the, Probably the story that, uh, well, you know, the the my I I did my dissertation and then published this major book, uh, the Messiah of Peace, uh, on Jesus on the Passionary. Uh, so, uh, so I'll tell one of those stories. Mm. This is my one of my favorite stories from the. Uh, 
from the passionaries. And just for the listener to know, uh, your storytelling this f- from heart, from your heart, not from reading it in the scripture. So, oh yeah, the, the, just so that they can visualize you looking into the camera and yeah. basically telling this by heart. Go ahead. Yeah, that's right. Well, uh, well, I'll tell. I'll tell from the beginning of the Passionary. Uh, the festival of the, of the Passover and unleavened bread was the next day. And the chief priests and the scribes were looking for how they might arrest him by treachery and kill him. For they had been saying among themselves, not during the feast, lest there be a riot among the people. Well, on that day, Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of Simon, the leper, probably referring to the leper who he had healed uh, in uh, chapter one. Uh, And uh, as he was reclining for uh, a woman came with an alabaster jar of pure nard, very expensive ointment and breaking the neck of the jar She poured all of this on his head. Now, there were some there who were angry among themselves and said to one another, Ah, why was the ointment wasted like this? It could have been sold for more than 300 denarii a man's earnings over an entire year given to the poor, and they rebuked her. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why are you giving her trouble? She's done a beautiful thing for me. For you will always have the poor with you, and whenever you want to, You can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. I tell you, wherever in the whole world the gospel is proclaimed, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Mm. Thank you, Tom. Why is that story meaningful for you? Well, uh, it, is a, it is the story in which Jesus is anointed. Uh, but rather than being anointed by a prophet like Saul and David, he's anointed by a woman. Uh, and uh, the in the in the traditions of the ancient world, uh, there was no more desirable outcome of your life. Your story would be told. That's reflected Iliad uh, when the warriors of uh, Greece and Troy 
did battle. There are constant allusions to, we will die, but our story will be told. We will be remembered. Uh, and that is, uh, that's a, 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 a uh, that's a cultural assumption that the greatest goal of one's life would be to do something that would be remembered and that your story would be told throughout history. It was the way that they valued life after death. This story, this story of, you know, Jesus says that about this woman, apparently a rich woman who came and anointed him for burial, recognizing that the way in which he was going, uh, just as was the case with uh, Martin Luther King, uh, many of the leaders of nonviolent movements have recognized that it is likely that their actions will lead to their death. Uh, Jesus recognized that, but she recognized it. And so the reason why I, uh, I love this story is that it's, it's part of this reversal of the conception of how it is that the world will be saved yeah. and that it will be saved by love. It will be saved by people doing good for each other rather than by war. Mm. We continue to believe and to put our money as Americans into preparation for war, uh, not into uh, as a primary thing, into feeding people and taking care of them. And uh, so the gospel is uh, not only about individual uh, salvation, it's also about the salvation of the world. And it's being uh, redeemed by the power of love. And that's what Jesus demonstrates. Uh, that's what the story is about. That's the good news, is that God's love will be victorious over the powers of evil. There was a lot of material in our conversation with Tom that did not make it into the episode, specifically a conversation about pacifism and the crucifixion of Jesus. Be sure to join our Facebook group, The Bible Project 2020, and request to join so that you can get some of this exclusive content. We'll post that extra segment towards the middle of this week. We are still worshiping online Sundays at 9.30 and 11, and you can join us on Facebook or at hydeparkumc.org forward slash live. McGray DeVega produced this episode. I'm Matt Hotho. See you next week.